Hey everybody, I'm Amber. And I'm Maddie. And, and we're Witches Talking Tarot. And we've brought you a show all about the occult. We're talking different lores and mythology. Yes, creature features, cryptids, aliens, you name it, we'll cover it. Conspiracy theories. Absolutely. And pagan holidays and 100%. All eight of them. Yes. Spiritual living, you yeah. name it. That's right. We've got it for you. So if you want, come sit with us for a spell and let us make you laugh. We are Witches Talking Tarot. Thanks, everybody. Hi, I'm Dustin. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that this show may be about kids' books, but it's for an adult audience. Sometimes we use profanity or make some risque comments during our discussion. I try to give appropriate ratings in the show notes, so be sure to check those out before you allow your child to listen along because, again, this isn't really made for them. Also, some areas prohibit explicit language, so be sure to listen at your own discretion. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show! <laughs> so I'm rushing around today and just like, I just got done finishing a steak and <laughs> I'm like, I gotta get this like trying yeah. to eat fast. <laughs> I'm gonna be a little bit later, I'm sorry. But uh, good. I got here, I got here in time and we're all good. <laughs> all good. Yes. <laughs> Dustin can read. Welcome back to Dustin can read. I have not been on for a while, especially with the read portion of everything. I've been kind of having a, a rough year as far as reading goes and not been able to concentrate as much because life happens and sometimes you just, you just can't, you know, you just can't do it. So I took a little bit of a break, which uh, this time around, I have Jack from Jack Reacts blog back. And uh, as some of you might know, he was on a previous episode where we did the trilogy for Fear Street Nights. Um, just a joy to have on. <laughs> uh, Thank you. You're yes, yes, for sure. Um, if you want to, you should go check out Jack Reacts. It's jackreacts.com.au. He he, re, you know, he recaps a whole bunch of like YA from the 80s and 90s, all the cool stuff like Fear Street, like Point Horror, um, and various ones in between. In fact, you've actually had me contribute some in which I've written one for the rage of Aquarius, which is a Zodiac chillers book. And more recently I did one for reckless, which is a rare book series called bloodlust. So if you want to check those out, definitely go there, look at that and look at all his uh, recaps and reviews. They're awesome. He's fun. I love your little side notes you put in there, you, you know, and Oh, and I love the whole thing. You put gifts in there, which I'm glad I got to do that as well. I think that was really, yeah. Neat. The little you know animations to kind of go along with the little sarcastic stuff that you say and throw in there and it, it's really fun thank you have you had a favorite book that you've done so far on there yet my favorite has been class trip which was also one of the first ones i did um i think it was like 
it's like BB Fast Rice, and it's just sort of like a slasher movie, but in book form. Okay, um, that's cool. And nothing else has like topped that yet. But then Trapped is my favorite Fear Street that I've covered so far as well. And that's one I have not read yet. And I've been, I don't have, I have a good amount of Fear Street. You can see them behind me right here, but I yeah. don't have all of them. And I, I have not read all of them either. I just kind of collected them like, I'll get to them eventually. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. Since like the pandemic, my collection has grown so much, but like I'm nowhere near getting around. And your bank account has shrunk. So up. many. Yes. Exactly. I've had so much. <laughs> yeah, I had to stop because I was doing that during the pandemic too. I'm like, I have no money. Why do I keep spending money on this? Yeah. <laughs> I had to stop. It was just something that wasn't going to happen anymore. Oh, well. Well, this time we're actually reading a Christopher Pike book called Master of Murder. And the whole reason behind it, I wanted to read something in the Pike universe because I did it earlier this year with uh, Remember Me and I wanted to do another one. And at the time that we chose this, we weren't sure what stories they were going to use of Pike's in the Midnight Club series that's coming to Netflix in October, because the whole setup for that is they're going to use the stories that the kids tell in the book, but they're also going to use some of Christopher Pike's novels and I was like, oh, we got to we gotta figure out which ones we could do. So we both had this book. So we decided, let's just go ahead and read this one, right? And uh, I found out later that they named off at least four books that they're going to be covering in the Midnight Club series on Netflix. It's going to be The Wicked Heart, Give Me a Kiss, Road to Nowhere, and Witch. Which is the only one of the group that I actually have. <laughs> Yeah, so, I don't think I have. I think I've got Witch, and I don't think I have those other two either. Yeah, and so I figured, you know, I'll, I'll try to binge that one before the show comes out to at least be familiar with one of the stories, you know. Um, and you've re- recently read The Midnight Club, like not very long ago. Yeah, and it was not what I was expecting at all. It was very. What like, did you expect? Well, I thought it was going to be like horror, sort of like thriller stuff, and it was just very like made me think about life very existential yeah very that and, and i just sad. i was not prepared for that <laughs> yeah it was, it was really very sad. different from his other books that i've read so far like the first one i wrote was or not wrote read <laughs> was chain letter which was kind of i know what you did last summer like i don't know yep. if you've read that one yeah I've, and, um i've read that one that was good yeah i thought it was pretty good um and then i read midnight club and i was like oh this is different from chain letter and then i read you know, remember me, which was kind of still kind of existential a little bit, but it was more of a ghost thriller. You know, I don't know if you've read that one. It's pretty good. Um, there's two sequels, which I don't know how, just based on how the first one ends, I don't know how the, there's going to be two sequels, but I'll get I to do them have, eventually. I've got all three of them, but I haven't read them yet. I find like Christopher Pike is hard to sort of recap because these books are like a lot more complicated than. Yeah. Usual like fear streets and stuff. So there's like, it's more with his books, it's like sort of everything that he writes is sort of relevant. Like he doesn't just add in stuff that's like not going to come up later or something like that. So like when I'm like doing my recaps for him, it's a lot more time consuming. Oh my God. Yes, it is. It's like 
you want to just read a chapter and then recap it like you normally would, but then you're like, I have to add in a lot of details, like yeah. that I normally wouldn't have to add in, but because everything seems to be important, yeah, and <laughs> it's so dense and convoluted and just so wow, you know, like I totally get it. I've been writing, you know, I was writing this up and I was like, wow, I. Uh, wow, <laughs> there's so much yeah. crap. I tried to like, <laughs> all right, I've got to weed out what I don't need here. I'm going to have to guess what I don't need sometimes, you know? Yeah. But that's okay. Um, we found, like I said before, Master of Murder will not be one of the ones that's going to be in the Netflix series, I don't think. Um, I, I do believe that those four were were pretty much all the books that they're going to use because they that's what they announced. I don't think they're going to add any more unless they do like a second season or series, whatever you would say it. Um, and then they might do some more Pike stories. We'll see. But, uh, you know, so let's just get into it for the sake of nostalgia, I guess. Right. So this book opens in a creative writing class. Now the book says it's an English class, but I don't know of any English class that has assigned original story assignments that are not based on something that's already established. Like here, I want you to write the story and here's what you have to write. That sounds more like a creative writing class than yeah. plain English or lit. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, we meet Marvin Summer. What a name. Who is longingly staring at his fellow classmate, Shelly Quaid. No relation to Dennis or Jack. Shelly is reading a book in a series called The Mystery of Silver Lake by Mac Slate. What she and the others at school don't know is that Marvin is Mac Slate. Hmm, it's his pen name. He's apparently a very popular author who is very rich. He even has some of his books being adapted into movies, that lucky son of a bitch. The series is about a single murder, a whodunit of sorts, Marvin is supposed to complete the final book in the series soon, but he can't seem to get over his writer's block and figure out how it will all end. He needs to do it in a hurry because the release is coming up in February and the timeline of this book says it's currently November. So yeah, I'd say get your ass to the grindstone and start turning out some pages, bud. You know, stop beating around the bush. Just start writing. I mean, you're making that much money off of it. Just freaking write something. Yeah, I thought it was like weird that he's... Because he's only like 17 years old. Mm -hmm. He's written all these books, apparently. And then with like this one, we find out later that he's written five in the space of like a year. Yes. Which that seems I like a lot. It, it's very R.L. Stein, that's for damn sure. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> R.L. Stein is cranking them out. But I don't know. It seems... I was like, he's... I don't know. Especially because like, he's still a student. Mm -hmm. Where does he have all this time to write these five books? in one year and that they're all published within that one year as well. And he's just that brilliant that he can just churn them out and like a, a matter of a week, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. He said like the one time he's done it in like 11 days. I'm like, wow, I wish. Yeah. I wish I had that much. Mm-hmm. Seriously. To concentrate. For real. So Marvin is in awe of this girl, Shelly. They dated briefly last year, but that was before he knew she had an on-again, off-again boyfriend named Harry Pastor. Now, I don't, I'm thinking it's Pastor, but it looks like it might be Paster. I'm not, I'm going to say Pastor, but. Yeah, I was right. I was reading it as Pasta. 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 
how do you think, I mean, I don't know. I just, I feel that was weird. Like this girl's dating a guy and then dating him. It's something's up with that. So anyway, Harry killed himself of November last year by jumping off a cliff at the lake at Sessa Lake. We found out the name is Sessa. Shelly was really torn up about it and she started to draw away from others and Marvin thought it best to just leave her be so she could grieve in peace. However, he's determined to ask her out again. He only kissed her once and if he has his way, it won't be the last time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Miss Jackson, their teacher, calls Marvin up to the front of the class to read his story. Now, their assignment was to write about, quote, what it feels to be an animal and discover yourself. The fuck is this weirdness? Like, <laughs> it's like a really weird prompt. It really is. It feels like she like opened up a book and just kind of went prompts, prompts, prompts. There's one and just like put her finger on it, you know? And Marvin thinks it's dumb too. He ends up reading a story about Seymour the frog. Now, why this teacher, I don't understand. She says something like, now Marvin is a frog and animal. What? Yeah, Not all was... animals are mammals, you dumbass. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, she was thinking like mammals, but like I don't know, Am- amphibians are still animals technically, right? How did she graduate with a teaching degree if she doesn't know what a frog is an animal? I don't get it. So in the story, Seymour wants to be a bird so he can fly. He sits in his pond all day and watches the birds overhead. One day, he sees a balloon floating by and thinks to himself, if he can get enough air in him, then he could fly too. So he starts sucking in more and more air. Finally, he starts to float. He's getting bigger, but he's floating higher and higher. He wants to join the birds above. So he sucks in one more breath, but it proves to be his last as he explodes all over the pond and and the rocks below. The birds see this and dive down to gobble up his remains. In a way, Seymour's dreams are sort of realized as he is now one with the birds. (laughs) (laughs) The class, including Shelley, seem to really enjoy this silly story, as do I. It's fun and quirky. It It also dawns on me that this book has a story within a story format, sort of like the Midnight Club. So that's kind of a nice tie in. Yeah. And the only person who is not amused by the story is Miss Jackson. She thinks Marvin is making a mockery of the assignment and even says that the ending was too grotesque. I'm like, well, get a sense of humor, woman. He did the damn assignment. If you didn't want a funny story, you should have specified. Okay. And she like tells him he could be a writer someday if he learns to control himself. Like what? (laughs) If she only knew, right? She ends up giving him a B, which I think is a crime, but because the story was great. Yeah, it was a good one. So as Marvin goes back to his seat, we learn that Shelly may be already dating again after all. Some jock named Triad Tyler. What kind of, what, what the hell is this name? Literally, I was like, what the hell? What, what is Triad? I'm like, and it has to be Triad. I, I'm like, is it Triad? I, but still, it's still stupid. Like, who named... Christopher Pike has some weird names like Elonka in Midnight Club. Like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Weird names he uses. It sounds like, I don't know why, but I'm thinking, like, is he like the third kid in his family or something? And that's like, we got to call him Triad. (laughs) It's the only thing I can think of. I can't think of a name. I was, yeah, I was like wondering if there's, is there some sort of hidden meaning in the book behind his name? But 
I know. I figured maybe it might come up know. later, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, no. <laughs> spoiler doesn't come up. So apparently, Triad is always trying to get Marvin to sell him his motorcycle, and you know he doesn't care. He just wants Shelly to ask him out after class. You know, or excuse me, he wants to ask out Shelly after class. I said that backwards. He ends up zoning out and watching her more and more as other kids are reading their stories. In the hall after class, his teen hormones want to whisk Shelly into the janitor's closet and, quote, make love to her. Yeah, because every girl's dream is to fuck next to the mop bucket, bucket <laughs> and a bag of orange puke dust. <laughs> At school. At school, right? With the bell ringing and everything. Yeah. Locker <laughs> slamming nearby. Oh, yeah. Do me now. <laughs> He ends up making small talk with her as they walk to the next class they have together. They talk mostly about the Mac Slate book he's reading. He says, um, well, she says that Mac is a genius. She can't put his books down. This, of course, pleases Marvin, but also scares him as she says she's anticipating the final book that he hasn't written yet. He brings up that he, quote, wants to be a writer one day like he isn't already. And Shelly says she remembers him telling her that, along with some random stories he made up off the top of his head when they were dating. He seems to have some majorly low self-esteem, considering he's on the New York Times bestseller list and is worth millions. So I think it's kind of weird. He can't believe yes. that she remembers. What now? No, I was just agreeing with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so for some reason, he's like, I can't believe you remember dating me last year. I'm like. Okay, one date maybe easily forgotten, but like you went on five dates. Like, how could you forget going on five dates with someone, Marvin? Man, you're weird. Yeah, but it's weird how she just kind of like froze him out. It is. Well. I mean, but like, I can kind of understand, you know, this guy that she had been dating off and on suddenly kills himself. She's all sad and upset about it and doesn't really want to date you. But I get it. I kind of get that. But still, yeah. And it's weird that she's totally fine now, you know. Yeah, just now then, she's ready. Yeah, she is. She's she's ready. She's she's old for it. <laughs> Triad, the dumbass jock, comes between them and puts his arm around Shelly, calling her his quote baby doll. She is not amused and shrugs him away. He turns to Marvin and asks, Hey Marvin, when are you gonna sell me your motorcycle, man? And Marvin tells Triad that there are other motorcycles in Oregon. I'm like, nice way of throwing in that setting, Pike. And, you know, you could get a new one or a used one and try it says, I want yours, though. And this seems like a setup for something later. It does. It already seems like a setup. Yep. Shelly tells Marvin he should just sell the bike to Triad because motorcycles are dangerous and he could get killed. And that's when Triad says, you don't care if I get killed. And she comes back with, you have a harder skull than Marvin. I bet your brains would bounce off the pavement. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And dude is so dumb, he does, like, not get this insult at all. Anyway. Yeah. Shelly is a savage here. She is. She's so savage. Like, damn. What the hell? Do you know Megan the Stallion? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hip with the popular culture, kids. Anyway. So... She evades Triad's invitation to have lunch together, and she just walks off. Triad doesn't understand why, and Marvin says, well, maybe she just doesn't want to be around you, dude. And he, you know, so Triad, like, kind of seems hurt, and he shrugs it off. 
In his next class, speech with Mr. Raymar, who is apparently a chill teacher that leads in discussion rather than assignments, all the kids and Mr. Raymar want to talk about is the Max Slate books and, quote, who killed Anne McGaffer. Marvin seems annoyed, but listens to them all talk about the list of suspects. Apparently, his character Anne was killed at the end of the first book, and her body was found naked in the lake, wrapped up in barbed wire with signs of sexual assault. I'm like, this really sounds kind of heavy for a teen novel, but then again, it almost feels like Pike is basing Marvin's writing style on his own, in a way. Yeah, that's true. In a semi-meta way. I thought that. As the class speculates who the killer could be, Marvin gets frustrated because he can't figure this out for himself. In fact, he says that he, quote, uncovers the plot instead of making it up, which I get because that's kind of how I write sometimes. Like, it's almost like the story tells me what to write rather than me telling what I think should happen. Like me. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of flows out of you. Yeah. Though I'd never say that God gave me a gift to find the stories in the, quote, astral ether. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a weird thing. I know. I'm like, that's a little too narcissistic for me. I don't. The discussion turns into who Max Slate actually is, and this really piques Marvin's interest as he hears various guesses at his description. One girl, Sandy, says that she thinks he's 30, tall, dark, and handsome, and he lives alone with a dog. He left a girl he loved because he was afraid he'd kill her. I'm like, damn, are you sure you're not a writer, girl? What's, what's going on here? Marvin says he doesn't think Max Slate is a psychopath, and Sandy says that all geniuses are nuts. That's a little bit of an overreach, but okay. Another girl, Deborah, thinks that he's blonde and young-looking 40-something with a wife and two blonde children. Marvin's just eating all this up. Shelly pipes up at one point and says that she thinks Max Slade is his pen name, and he's probably some old fart who can't get laid. Marvin and the rest of the class laugh at this, and Shelly actually kind of sounds pretty awesome at this point. I'm like, oh, she sounds like someone I'd like to be friends with, you know? She just doesn't yeah, take I shit like from anybody. That. I was lacking it. The book says that by the end of class, speculation is now that Max Slate is a transvestite who lives in the Sahara Desert. I'm like, and I started thinking, you know, people don't use the term transvestite anymore. Is it like that negative of a term? Because it's just someone who likes to dress up in the opposite sex clothing for sexual gratification. Correct? Correct? Isn't that what it is? Yeah, I feel like... I don't know. I feel like somehow it has become derogatory, but I'm not really sure exactly the reasoning behind it. Yeah. The only only acceptable way to use it apparently now is if you're, you know, singing Rocky Horror songs. So, yeah, it's, all, it's the only thing I, can <laughs> I think it's of. I think it's mainly used as an insult. Yeah. So it like tranny is. or something. Yeah, so I that think that's. Why, but... I don't know. I, I, I just was curious about that. It just kind of died away. Anyway, after class, Marvin finally gets up the nerve to ask Shelly out again, and she answers yes without hesitation. They will go out that night, and he'll pick her up at six. He says he'll get a car since she doesn't like his motorcycle, and there's mention that he'll sneak in his mom's car. Like, why sneak? You're a freaking millionaire. Doesn't your mom know this? I don't, you know, we don't know the situation yet, but that's what I'm thinking at this point. Before going their separate ways, Shelly tells him not to take so long to ask her out next time. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Now I'm really liking Shelly. But then it's like, why didn't she ask him out? She was the I one know, that come on. 
She was the one that went it all weird. That long ago. You know, they used to say back in the day, it's the 90s. They would say that all the time. So it's like, yeah, women's lib. Do it, girl. You know, <laughs> feminism and whatnot. Do it. Do it. Marvin is a senior, and like most seniors in the U.S., I'm not sure about other countries, um, he only has a few classes in the morning hours and then gets out earlier than the underclassmen, which is true. A lot of times you get a a work permit, so you can go leave early, and if you have like a part-time job or something, you can usually get one without a part-time job, but that's normally what they're for. Oh, that'd be good. No, we don't really have that over here. Oh, really? You get to do that um, your your junior and senior year, usually. uh, We had like... If you studied, so we could like take some classes that were for the year level above um, that would then count towards our like final year or whatever. But, and then if we were in our final year and we'd already had some classes that counted towards that, then we'd have like free periods. Okay. So I guess if you had them towards the end of the day, you could just leave, but. Okay. So, so your um, school structure, is it like it is in um, the UK? For the most part, know, is it similar um, to that? So it's like six classes a day, so like split into like two. So like two, then like a recess sort of thing, then two more classes, then lunch, then two more classes. Okay. And what, what about like, you know, because we have like freshman, sophomore, junior, like you get what I'm saying? In- yeah. So ours are just, um, so we don't have, so you guys have like middle school. Ours, our high school is like middle school and high school. Um, okay. So it's just like year seven to year twelve. So year twelve is our final year. Okay. How? What age do you usually would you graduate in year twelve? Would it be eighteen um, or seventeen? So seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. So you okay, turn so eighteen in year twelve. Okay. So you're you're closer to us. It sounds like you're more similar to us than than to Great Britain. Okay, that makes sense. Just making sure. So at least you can at least um, match up with that and understand that part of it. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think in great Britain, they're like, we don't understand juniors and senior stuff. Like it's like senior year for them would be them going to quote college, you know? Oh and yeah. Okay. That's how yeah. they do it. It's, it's very interesting and it confuses me, but I don't get it, but that's their deal. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have to understand it. I'm not over there and I'm already out of high school. So, um, <laughs> anyway, before, um, so like I was saying, he's a senior and he gets out of class early and whatnot. So at lunch, he hops on his bike and speeds off in celebration of getting his coveted date with Shelly. He heads straight to the post office to check his P.O. box that he uses for his Max Slate correspondence from his publisher and agent. He gets a good amount of fan mail sent there, too. This is where we learn that his 11-year-old sister, Anne is the only person that knows he is Max Slate. I'm like, really? Like your own mother doesn't know? Like, how do you keep all this, your millions of dollars a secret? Like, I'm putting some serious holes here. I don't know what's going on. It's really interesting how this is set up. You're like, what? I don't understand. And the answer, we get the answer to these questions, but it's still, what? So his sister is really pretty. Even, you know, he even thinks that Shelly doesn't even compare to her, which is saying something, I guess. She's also really smart. So smart, in fact, that she helps him decide on his plot lines for his books often. He repaid her by naming the dead main character of the Silver Lake books after her, which is kind of a weird tribute, in my opinion. Yeah, I was like, apparently she 
loves it that she was the inspiration for their name, but then it's like she was raped and murdered. <laughs> like I know. Why I'd be a little creeped out. That? Yeah. I mean, I guess I could be flattered, but hey, I named my, my character that gets murdered after you, Dustin. What? <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just want you dead. That's what it sounds like. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that, please. Anyway, she decided to skip school and check out his fan mail. He sort of scolds her, but not really, considering that she says that their mom is having a, quote, bad day, which is code for already drunk. He lets it slide because he feels bad for them having two alcoholic parents. It's because of their drunkenness that he's kept his Max Slate identity a secret. He doesn't want them to end up seizing control of his money, which we learn has reached about the $2 million mark. He just has to wait another couple of months for his 18th birthday. And then after graduation, he is out of there. And his poor sister just, you know, wants him to take her with him. But I'm like, I hate to break it to you, kid, but unless you can prove your parents are boozy and abusive and incompetent, you'll be stuck there for a bit. But then again, he could just hire a good lawyer because he has all that money. So, yeah. And then like when we meet the parents, it's pretty. I don't think you'd be staying there for that long. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she gets pissed off when he calls her Annie, and then she just kind of says, okay, Mr. Slate. And he's like, no, 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 okay. He recoils with a truce, and Yuri's like, okay, fine. I'll call you Arwen today, the elf from Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, ugh, really? I'm not a fan of Tolkien. I'm just not. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I think I saw the movies when I was like a kid, but way too long for me to like get through. And that last one, they kept fading out and then coming back, and then they faded out. You're like, is this over yet or not? (laughs) Like, please end this. Yeah, no. So they head home and find their mother watching some old black and white movies on TV, smoking a cigarette besides the drinking. This kind of sounds like how my mom used to be. (laughs) My mom's not a drunk, but she would do all this. She loved her some old movies and smoking, you know, in the house. And we learn that his father is never steady with the child support payments. And Marvin often has to help pay bills lying to his mom that he quote ghost writes newspaper articles for extra money. I guess that's a good lie considering she knows he writes all the time. She's so drunk. She's not going to notice the truth, I guess. I don't... Yeah, I guess I was like, is that like, is it a believable lie? Because like, why would a newspaper reporter be like, why would a child a teenager be writing stories for a newspaper. Ghost writing newspaper Ghost articles. Writing. Yeah. That seems strange. But whatever. I guess she's dumb enough to believe it. She doesn't second guess it? Nope. She is very pleased to see him, but doesn't even look at her daughter. She turns up the volume on the TV to not even hear and speak, it seems. Like, poor kid, man. I know what it's like to have a much older sibling and to obviously not be the favorite. That's for sure. But man do you have any older siblings jack yeah so i'm mom's youngest but dad's middle child okay but there's i think mom's mama had the oldest one when she was 18 so like she's 16 years older than me okay and the rest of us are like pretty close ish in age how many siblings do you have there's so, like, including, like, half siblings and stuff. So, there's, like, there's seven of us all up. So, mom has five wow. and then dad has five, but only three together. You sound like a bad sitcom waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very complicated family. Oh, well. 
I know. I had a friend who had something like that. He was like the only kid between his parents and then like his dad. He was his only his his dad's only biological child because he had an adopted son because his previous wife couldn't have children. And uh. his mom had her tubes tied and then had them untied so that she could have him. It was really weird. Like, yeah, really Very crazy. So he had no like full blooded siblings. They were all half siblings. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah, very kind of interesting. Like... Anyway, so there's a whole section where it talks about Marvin listening to music to distract his conscious mind while he writes, basically, so the story just flows out of him more freely. I don't usually write with music, but maybe this would help me. I don't know. I need to figure something think, out. I don't think I could do it. I feel like it would just, I'd be distracted by the song that was playing. Yeah. Rather than like writing. I feel like I'd need silence or something maybe background noise but it had to be very faint in the background just kind of mood music maybe just like score or yeah. not like a pop song or anything because that's just yeah not like much. something with like actual singing just mood music you know so Anne follows marvin to his room so she can look at his fan mail with him and he apparently gets nude pics from time to time which grosses Anne out i'm like well then don't hang out with the teenage boy girl <laughs> And it's like these it. photos are probably coming from like a teenage girl too, right? And they all think Max Slate's in his like 30s. I know. That's what's sick. It's like they're sitting yeah. in child pornography, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's a little concerning. Marvin reads all of his mail, which is good. Good man. You know, they took the time to write it. You could take the time to read it. I mean, I feel like all celebs should do this, but I mean, I, they aren't busy all the time and they can at least have some assistants read through them and let them know what the fans are saying. Something, you know, let these yeah. be read. Don't just not read them. As totally. it turns out, he gets so much mail that it's he's unable to answer all of them. But if someone writes something really touching or they're like terminally ill or something, he'll take the time, which is nice. They read the letters and giggle at how most of them are signed. I'm your number one fan. And it gives me major Annie Wilkes vibes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very one fan. Watch out for that sledgehammer. So Marvin reads an especially steamy letter from some girl named Becky. She tells him that she dreamt he was in her high school showers. She was in her high school showers completely naked. And then he, a.k.a. Max Slate, came in wearing a tux. He grabs her forcefully and kisses her. She says he was like the devil in that way, but then he made love to her like God. She wants to, him to give her his phone number, and then she wants him to fly her out to wherever he is. She says she just wants a piece of him, and re in return, she'll give him all of her. I'm like, hot damn, that was a bit naughty. <laughs> it's it's really weird that or like no one knows what he looks like. Or like how old he is or anything like that. So it's like, I feel like it's so weird that all these people are writing these sort of like steamy letters to him wanting to have sex. I know. And like sending him nudes. Like they have no idea what he looks like at And all. he could look like George R.R. R. Martin. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like big old gray beard. Just he looks like he probably has, a, probably has food stuck in it probably. And he just, you know, ugh. Probably hasn't showered in days. Ugh. Ugh. God, he creeps me out. But anyway, so we find out that he's actually called girls that sent him his number before her, their number before convincing himself that it, if he, that it helped him understand what makes them tick. I'm like, yeah, okay. You torn, you horny ass teenage boy. 
I'm sure that's all you called them for. Yeah, a bit of phone sex. Yeah. Whatever, I don't buy it. Of course, hiding it from Anne is no good. The little girl's too smart. She already pretty much knows what's in that letter, even though he lies and says it's some mom writing for her kid that's dying of leukemia. Next, he grabs a letter that's been postmarked from Sessa, which is their town. It was sent to his publisher, who forwarded it to his P.O. box. And when he opens it, it only says one thing. I know who you are. Creepiness. He knows his agent didn't tell anyone. Besides, Anne, that's the only other person that knows his real name, even though his agent doesn't even know he's in high school. So Anne's the one who just knows everything, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing he can think of is that someone might have seen him collecting his mail at some point. But my question is, why bother sending it as a fan letter and not just directly to his house? If you're trying to freak him out. Yeah, that's true. Kind of seems like overkill, but. Resolved that he can't do much about it. He tells Anne not to worry. Besides, they address it to Max Slate. So maybe they don't really know his true identity. Makes sense, but it's a bit too coincidental for my taste. I don't know. He does sense that maybe that the person wants to blackmail him, but he doesn't go too far with that at that point. Just then, his editor, Pat Winchell, calls. She starts with all the niceties, but quickly dives into his long overdue book. He only has three months till release, and they needed it a month ago. He tries to ease her worry by lying that he's on the last chapter. I mean, this dumb kid hasn't even started the book yet. Man, he says he just needs about 10 days to get it finished. I'm like, dude, dude, you need to get your ass to the computer and start writing pronto. She seems intrigued when he says it's his best book yet. I'm like, just keep piling on those lies, man. Just dig your own grave. Just keep going. Come on. What do you have to lose? Everything. And I think at this point, too, unless I like scanned, skipped over it or whatever, but I think I was thinking that, like, oh, he just hasn't finished the ending of the book. And, like, that's what he's struggling with. But, like, he actually hasn't written the whole thing. He hasn't started it at all yet. He hasn't started the damn thing. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, wow. But, I mean, really, if you're going to start something like you got to know the ending. If something like that, you have to know the ending in order to set it up to be revealed, yeah. you know? It just makes sense. Well, when he hangs up, Anne asks if he's going to start writing now, but he says he'll start tomorrow because he's going out with Shelly tonight. Call priorities, my horny kid. Come <laughs> on. Anne is not pleased. Not only is she worried about his book, but she doesn't like Shelly for some reason. She basically says that he should know why since he dated Shelly before, but she won't go into any details. She just says, I'm just a kid. What do I know? And leaves as he sits there confused. I'm like, well, you're a smart kid, so that's what you know. But you know, and I thought I like that? I thought that would come into play later at some point too, like why she doesn't like Shelley, but it doesn't really like she gives a reason later, but it's like there's no real. It's still, you don't get you still don't get the full story why she yeah. doesn't like Shelley. Yeah, because she doesn't know a lot of stuff. But I don't want to get into that too far yet. With three hours left till he has to pick up Shelly, Marvin decides to go for a ride on his bike to the lake. Wouldn't want to start on that book any sooner than you previously said, right, Marvin? You don't want to do that. Go take a walk. Waste more time. Waste some more time, yeah. The place is deserted as he walks around the lake twice. 
he looks over at the cliff Shelly's ex Harry supposedly jumped from, and then he starts remembering a nightmare where he was trapped at the lake and woke up from a dream within a dream, and the lake was drained, and there were dead bodies and, a, and skeletons all in it. I mean, Christopher Pike loves him some dream sequences. He writes them in almost every book I've read. Yeah, so he really does. Yeah, I think I've only, this is like my fifth Pike book, and yeah, I think there's like a dream sequence in all of them. Yeah, at some point he's got to put one in, and it's really, and they feel like real dreams, like the way they're kind of warped, and they do feel like weird, weird, real, I can't talk, real dreams, but I don't know. I just, I wonder why he does that. I don't know. He has a pattern, that's for sure. The lake must be pretty big because he spent three hours walking around it, and now it's time for his date with Shelly. Turns out, he couldn't get his mom's car because it's in the shop, so he rides his bike over to Shelly's and she answers, ready to go, her hair in twin ponytails, which I find interesting. And I want to know, are they side by side or are they on top of each other? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Twin ponytails. Because at first I was thinking pigtails, but then I realized later on she's like putting on, she says, you know, I figured I'd have to ride on your motorcycle. So she put her hair in the ponytail. So I figured it's got to be in the back. So it's not pigtails. So she has them like this or like this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Maybe like it's, low ones or something. I don't know. Isn't that strange? It's got to be low ones. Oh, you're right. You're probably right. It probably is low ones that go down her back and not like up. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I don't know why I'm discussing the <laughs> logistics <laughs> of her girl's hair. Yeah, style. I don't know. Oh, it's weird. Anyway. Yeah. So she says she can't get her parents' car because they went out of town for the weekend, which seems convenient that she didn't know that they were going to be out of town earlier when he asked her out. So she ends up begrudgingly lets him drive her to Pella, the nearby town, so they can go to dinner and a movie, even though he's just thinking about having sex with her the whole time. He's definitely hard up, for sure. Yeah, he definitely is pretty much only keen to get physical. He really is. Like, he's not like, he doesn't really say much about her personality and how much he likes that. He's just always checking her out and wanting yeah, to get with her. That's about it. I've, yeah, I've only just clicked on that now. Everything is sort of about how beautiful and that she is. And just basically how he wants to see her naked and get on top of her. That's basically it. Yeah, it's, he's kind of toxic in that way, but. But I mean, he's also a typical teenage boy in some respects as well, you know, and he's really lonely, it seems. At first, she seems annoyed. Then she says that the cool air will put good color in her cheeks. So they make the 20 mile trek on his motorcycle in the cold, no less. This seems horrible and dangerous since he only has one bike helmet that he lets her use. They have dinner and they discuss what they want to do with their lives. He reiterates that he wants to be a writer, even though it's hard to get published. I'm like, don't lie, dude. Like you could say that you want to be a writer, but just like, don't put in more information that's false. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't put you more know? information than you need to. Exactly. Like this, don't do that. She says she wants to be a plastic surgeon one day to quote, make the world beautiful or whatever lame reason. They later go to a movie and he falls asleep during it. She surprisingly thinks it's cute that he fell asleep. Even later when he asks how he liked the movie. <laughs> how did I like the movie? It was kind of cute. On the way back, they cross a bridge that goes over the Pella River 
that feeds into Lake Sessa. She wants him to stop so that she can see the river more. It's really dark and it worries him a little bit, but he does it anyway. She kind of acts like she's tempting fate, like by leaning over the railing and all that stuff. And they're in the cold and she just wants to feel the river spray on her face. And he just wants to get the hell out of there. She gets close to the edge and he tries to get her to be careful or she might fall in and drown or get hypothermia. And he and I are both surprised that the subject of her ex-boyfriend's suicide has not come up yet. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought, this is kind of, because she's like, oh, you write up, you know, you, you sure do know a lot about uh, death and murder and, you know, or whatever. And you must be because you're a writer. He's like, yeah. It's felt really weird. Like, why are you acting this way, girl? She yeah, finally she settles down. Definitely seems like she's got like, I don't know. She's got like an agenda or something, but and and issues as well. It's just, just yeah. issues in general. Like, what's going on with you? Like, are you stepping? Are you what? Are you losing it? So yeah, um, she settles down and asks what he wants to do next. Then basically reads his mind. Cause he's like, I'd like to get naked with you in the jacuzzi. That's what he's thinking. And she's like, let's go get in my jacuzzi. <laughs> I'm like, well, that worked out, didn't it? They get back to Shelly's and she says she doesn't have a bathing suit for him. And he's just going to have to get in naked. Cause he's not apparently not wearing underwear. Like, okay. He's trying to get her to join him naked, but she acts all shy, even though she's pretty much got him right where she wants him. And you know, she knows it. To compromise, they decide to put some bath, some bubble bath mix into the jacuzzi, which I'm not really sure is good for the motor. I'm like, I don't think that's a good thing to put into some, you know what I mean? Like one yeah, of those hot and they tubs. Put like, they put the whole bottle in as well. Yeah. So that's definitely. I don't know if it was a good. bottle or if it was a box. A box, probably a box. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like the, I think it wasn't the liquid kind. I think it was like the, you know, the, the nodules or what do you want to call them? Yeah. Nodules. Yeah. Granules. Not granules. granules. <laughs> granules um so yeah i don't think that's really good for it but i'll go along with it it's also lavender scented and he makes a comment that it smells fruity and she says well good thing neither of us are gay and i'm like not though clever you freaking homophobic cunt don't like it she pours the whole box in and makes him turn his head as she gets in naked they start to make out big time and all I'm wondering is how there's no mention of his boner yet because you know he has one and she's probably feeling it. And then she abruptly pulls away and asks, what's wrong? And he's like, what's wrong? And she then drops this bombshell on him. I don't think my dead boyfriend, Harry, killed himself at all. What? Like, <laughs> It's like really weird timing. I know. Like, let's make out. Hey, by the way, I'm thinking about my dead boyfriend and how I don't think he killed himself. <laughs> and I think he was murdered. And now, like, she wants Marvin to help her find Harry's killer. And I'm thinking at this point, something tells me that she was doing this whole little naked jacuzzi thing to get him to go along with this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to soften him up, so to speak, and like get him vulnerable so that he'll be like, oh, I want to see more. And then she's like, hey, by the way. <laughs> And she Seems tells him it's like, it. because she thinks, like, she feels like Marvin cares, but like, cares about what? Cares about <laughs> Harry? cares like, about her genitalia, about... that's what he cares yeah. about. <laughs> so the next day, Saturday, Marvin decides to kill time before calling up Shelly to talk more about this possible 
mystery of Harry's death. So he takes Anne to the post office to look at more of his fan mail. I'm like, dude, get to writing. <laughs> like you just said yesterday, you were going to start writing today. The fan mail is not what's important right now. He only has one letter and it wasn't even postmarked. It was directly stuffed into the P.O. box. And all it says is she doesn't love you like she thinks that like you think she does. What? But then it's like it's it's a bit soon for love. But like it is a weird I don't know. And I don't think he knows the difference between love and sex, to be honest, but he figures out that someone must be watching him because they had to know that he got the first letter the day before. Anne sees it and gets scared that someone may try to kill him or her. Like, chill girl. Chill. Like, <laughs> don't, I'm not you're 11, but come on. She asks if he loves Shelly and he's like, no, I barely know her. But it makes him think, who knows that he went out with Shelly the night before? Hmm. He asks Anne, why she doesn't like Shelly and asks if it's because she dumped him last year. And she says, that's part of the reason, but really she just doesn't like her. She doesn't elaborate more than that. Really though. That's it. Yeah, like, that's where it that's, ends. That's literally all we get. I was like, mm. <laughs> like, okay. Maybe it's just women's intuition. You know, I just don't like her. Something's up. Yeah. And I think I, at this point I was, I was kind of thinking like maybe Anne is like behind these letters because this is just yeah. such a smart 11 year old. Yeah. I was like, mm. and that's what I thought too. Kind of a red herring type thing going on. Yeah. But so next he decides to call his agent, Ben Fryer. Ben thinks he's like 28 or something, but knows his real name is Marvin. He says he has good news. Universal Studios has greenlit, greenlit his option to write the screenplay for the movie based on his first novel, The Wishing Web, which is a major deal for sure. Not many authors get that privilege. He must definitely have a lot of fandom for that to happen, you know? Yeah, like yeah. J.K. Rowling fandom, you know, because she had the say over what happens in the Harry Potter movies, you know? So I thought I that was know. kind of interesting. Yeah. They want to fly him out to L.A. to meet with the director and the producer, and Ben is looking forward to finally meeting him face-to-face -face as well. Marvin basically says, uh, we'll see, which seems to irk Ben. He also tells Ben that he hasn't even started on the book, which also gets on Ben's nerves and I don't blame him. He says, Marvin just needs to write. It doesn't matter who the hell killed Anne McGaffer in the book. He just needs to put something out there. So Marvin agrees to get it done pronto. Then Marvin tells Ben about the letters he's receiving and asks if Ben has given his real name out to anyone, which Ben says, no, not even his secretary knows. He then tells Marvin not to worry about the letters. Maybe some wacky teenage fan is doing it. So Marvin considers that and says, okay, now it's about time to call Shelly. Fine, but you need to write something. <laughs> write something. Ugh. I just keep saying that. Write, write something, damn it. He ends up going over to Shelly's and she's not as cheerful as she was the night before. She gives him a copy of the police report for Harry's death and the autopsy. Supposedly Harry's mom got copies when Shelly meddled and said that she thought it was murder. Again, all too convenient for my taste. It just seems, here, here's some police reports. You know, what? <laughs> How do you have yeah. these? Like, it seems really weird. Yeah, there's he definitely the to... sense that there's like something more going on with Shelly than you're sort of, than she's letting on. But then it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I think with Pike, 
I don't, they're not as predictable Mm-mm. as like Fear Street and stuff like that. So I think like that's why I really like it because I can never really figure it out. Yeah. There's always a twist of some sort, but she's definitely playing him hot and cold, you know? And you're like, what is up? You know, there's something up, but you just don't know what it is exactly. He starts to think about Harry. He was an all-star athlete, like triad, but way smarter. He seemed like a nice guy, just a bit of a loner. In fact, we confirm that Shelly basically cheated on Harry with Marvin last year when she went out with him, which is sketchy as hell for both parties involved because Marvin knew that she was with him, with Harry, you know, and she was, you know, obviously she knew she was with Harry, but she went out with this guy, Marvin. It just seems weird. I don't know why she would do that. Yeah, she was in like an off and on and off relationship with Harry, but it doesn't really say, doesn't really give you like a timeline of their relationship or anything like that. So it does kind of seem like she was seeing both of them at the same time. Yeah. You mean, she's like, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too kind of thing, you know? (laughs) Marvin thought maybe they were on the outs at the time, so he convinced himself it was okay, but it's not, but whatever. He basically alludes to Harry's suicide as probably because he was a really introspective guy. And this kind of makes Shelley upset because Marvin's introspective, but he clarifies that Harry was different. I don't know how, but he was different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he really says. Anyway, there's nothing in the reports that Shelley has found to indicate a murder, but she says she just knows it for sure. She knows it. She feels it in her heart. Marvin is annoyed with the situation and is starting to feel used because it's obviously (laughs) she's using you, dude. (laughs) That's why it's very obvious. She basically senses this and starts to ask him to go out with her on Monday night. He says, why not tonight? But she says she's busy. Like the hell you got to do on Saturday night alone in your house with the parents out of town. Like you are not proving to be trustworthy, Shelly. What happened there? I don't know. Something just fell off the bench, but I don't know where it came from. It's like a water. Do you have an animal? (laughs) No. Maybe you have a ghost. ghost. It's a ghost. They are not pleased with this story, apparently. So he agrees to take her out Monday night and they'll go back to Pella again. She insists that they stop along the bridge again because she likes the cold. Now I don't like Shelly at all. He needs to get the hell away from her. She's acting really weird, like bipolar or something. Yeah, she's too, like, hot and cold, like, on and off. But, yeah, you can tell that she's definitely, she's 100% using him. There's an agenda somewhere in there, and you don't know what it is. And I feel like he kind of sort of, like, recognizes that, but he's just like, he just wants to have sex with her, so he's willing to do anything. (laughs) Exactly. You're like, stop. Stop listening to your dick and listen to your mind. Come on, dude. Ugh. So Marvin heads to the library to read newspaper articles about Harry's death and then look at the reports that Shelley gave him. Basically, the official report is that Harry and Triad were hanging out drinking on Friday night, November 12th of last year, which was also Shelley's birthday, when Marvin had taken her out. Triad left Harry around midnight, and Harry wasn't seen again until his body was found early Monday morning by an old man named Sid Green who was out fishing on Sessa uh, Lake. Sid pulled Harry's body to shore and called the police. So basically he'd been missing for nearly three days before he was found. 
The coroner report said that he had some blunt trauma on his head, a broken neck, blisters on his hands, and busted capillaries, I think blood vessels, on his lower extremities, a.k.a. his legs. Mm-hmm. He also he had, had yeah, oil. oil stains on his fingers. Yep. Yeah. Oily substance on his hands as well, which is all fishy to me. And I'm not even a cop. Like that just says there's more to this story. And the cops yeah. are like, no, it was suicide. That was it. Yeah. And I think Shelley said earlier that like the police didn't really investigate it because he was found floating face down and there wasn't a suspect or a murder weapon anywhere in the vicinity. Yeah, and he didn't appear to have any, like, marks from struggling or a fight or or something, you know? Like, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. I don't know. For some reason, they decided, since it didn't look like there had been a struggle, the police called it a suicide by Harry jumping off the 102-foot cliff and hitting his head on the muddy lake bottom. The coroner marking his death around 12 a.m. Monday morning. And it seems weird that such a soft surface would bust his skull open like that. I can see breaking his neck, but busting his skull on mud? I don't know. Seems weird. They basically disregarded the busted capillaries, the oily palms, and the blisters on his hands, too. They just, I mean, it just seems too significant to ignore. But, you know, I guess... There are a lot of cops who just don't do their jobs. So, (laughs) I mean, Marvin agrees with me. It seems just a strange scenario where Harry might have been held captive in a well or something, which might explain the blisters on his hands. It seems possible. So he decides to visit Sid Green, the old man that found Harry's body. The man seems nice enough and is pretty cooperative. There's a whole conversation where he says he doesn't understand teen suicide You know, when in his day, all he could think about was girls and sex and kids nowadays can have all the sex they want and they still ain't happy. (laughs) I'm like, that's because sex doesn't equal happiness, old man. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's a momentary thing. Oh, I'm happy now. I guess this will last me for the rest of my year. No, that's not how this (laughs) happens. Anyway, when Marvin confirms what Harry was wearing, the old guy says a brown leather jacket and a sweater. He says he doesn't remember any stains or anything, but there seemed to be some rubbed out spots all over the chest and armpits of the leather jacket. And Marvin wonders if this could have been caused by rope burns. Again, he's doing great detective work for a high school kid. Yeah. Like, Why didn't the police think of any of this? Like no one in the police thought about any of this at all. And it's very visible right there. Does make sense. Next, Marvin goes to visit Mrs. Pastor, Harry's mom. Shelley had told him earlier to go talk to her and that she would be he that his mom would be expecting a call. So she he calls and he arranges to go over there. She's a perfectly lovely woman who must have been really young when she had Harry. Marvin finds her attractive, like stay off of her. <laughs> Get away from that woman. She gives him coffee and cookies and typical, oh hi, I'm a nice housewife type of person, you know, even though she's I guess single now because Harry's dad left too. Marvin just doesn't mention that he's dating Shelly now. He just says that they're friends. Probably best, but it may look weird later if something comes up. <laughs> it kind of felt like something was being planned and maybe he should say they're dating. I don't know. So he gets down to business. He confirms that Triad has dropped Harry off at at his house at midnight that Friday. 
but she was already asleep. So I'm like, how can she confirm that he got dropped off at midnight? Yeah, she just believes Triad or something. Yeah. She doesn't but think Triad no had reason. anything. Yeah, there's no reason for her to not believe her son's best friend, I guess. Right. It's just because he's his best friend. Like, he couldn't have done anything. He's his best friend. He, you know, why? I'm like, that doesn't mean shit when it comes to murder, ma'am. I'm sorry. <laughs> murder, all bets are off. Besides, we learned a little earlier that Triad had gone to play a football game in another town over the week, over the weekend, not returning till Monday because of bad weather. And it still bothers me that no one really seemed concerned that Harry didn't show up to the game considering he was on the team. Yeah, I thought that was weird as well. Like that doesn't like, seem... Shouldn't they have made a call like, hey, why aren't you here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Like I think from... that's never really said whether him, like Harry's disappearance was like investigated until after his body was found. Like no one knew he was missing until his body was found. Yeah. It's very strange. Like the only, last person to see him was Triad and you're like, uh-huh. So is he a murder suspect? <laughs> it should be the case. But no. No, rope burns, blisters, everything. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> he committed suicide. So, yeah. Marvin asks about Harry's jacket. And she has it. And so she brings it to him. It's all dried out like paper or something because of the water. But the rub marks are where the old Mr. Green said they would be. It just doesn't makes sense that Harry would be strung up around the arms, not the waist. Plus there's no mention of rope burns on his body, just blisters on his hands, which could possibly bend from rope. And it's all getting kind of complicated for sure. And I'm like, maybe, maybe Marvin should just get out of this and go home and write that fucking book. <laughs> just, you know what? Let's not do this anymore. He killed himself. Bye. You know, Mrs. Pastor lets Marvin hold on to the jacket for the time being, as long as he agrees to bring it back. She knows that Shelley believes it was murder, but it seems she's made her peace with the explanation of suicide, even if she wishes she didn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine feeling that way, you know, and having a kid and I just couldn't imagine, you know, it's gotta be horrible. Yeah, definitely. Marvin gets home to find his drunk mother parked in front of the TV watching Casablanca. She asks him for some buttered popcorn, even though he offers to make her a real meal. So she still wants the popcorn and he goes into the kitchen and finds Anne cooking chicken for them to eat. And I'm like, this girl is a savant. Like she has her shit together. She is ready to go out into the world and take care of herself. Yeah. She's, she's like, Matilda. like a full on meal. Yeah. Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> Without the, you know, telekinesis. He makes the popcorn for his mom, but she's already passed out when he brings it to her and he gives her a little kiss on the head. And I hate to see when kids have to parent their parents. Yeah. I hate that. It pisses me off. Anne starts to grill him about his day, wondering if he's worked out any of the details of his book. He's starting to get an idea that the dead girl, Anne McGaffer, wasn't killed near the lake when she was that she was found in. And it seems a little bit too close to home to write that up, Marv. You, you need a better idea that doesn't resemble Harry's death because this kind of feels like a setup. Yeah, and it's like he doesn't even realize that that's where the inspiration for that has come from. It's like he, yeah. he doesn't, he blurts it out out of nowhere. But it's like, what do you mean? It's You've just right been investigating there. this all day. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, it's, it's right here in front of your face. Like, get, get it together, kid. Next, she asks, did you see Shelly? 
And he ends up telling her about Shelly asking him to investigate Harry's death, and it worries her. Anne thinks that Shelly definitely wants something from him. And I agree with Anne here. Get the hell away from Shelly, Marv. She's bad news. So after dinner, Marvin calls Shelly, who is, you know, she just wants to know what he found out. What'd you find out? What'd you find out? And he offers to come over and, you know, to talk about it with her, but she's being really secretive. I'm busy, remember? So he yeah, says, okay, we'll wait till Monday. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I'm just busy. I'm just busy. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Busy doing what? Busy. <laughs> Stuff. <laughs> Stuff. Things. So he's like, okay, fine. It'll wait till Monday. But he does say that the possibility that Harry was murdered is still on the table. He decides he will take a short nap and then get up to start writing that book. Thank God. In his nap, he dreams he is multiple char characters in his own books. He tells a story about how Anne McGaffer was a popular girl with a shitty boyfriend named Clyde that cheats on her with her best friend, Jessica. Then Clyde and Anne have a big fight and she ends up confiding in her good friend, Mike. But that turns into them having sex a couple times, which makes Anne feel guilty. Meanwhile, Clyde tells his best friend, Terry, that Anne's a bitch, and Terry says that he should dump her. So Anne goes home and gets the shit beat out of her by her own father, and then afterwards she feels suicidal. So Anne also has a brother named Harold who is crazy and thinks that the Antichrist is reincarnated in donut holes in the Western U.S. What <laughs> the fuck? Pike, what the hell did you smoke to come up with this shit? I don't understand. <laughs> like, like... I kind of want to read that series as well. I do now. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I want just for the characters. Yeah. Next, we see Anne is near death, hanging from a bridge, dying. She screams for help, but no one cares. No one comes. And it's it's just a really complicated storyline. It seems very soap opery. Next thing, Marvin's sister Anne is waking him up. Their dad is there. And he's drunk and he's tearing up the house. Marvin comes downstairs to find him trying to destroy the TV that Marvin bought last month. His mother tries to stop him, but the dad grabs her by the hair and flings her to the ground. And Anne jumps down to like shield her or whatever. And then the dad like busts the TV out with the lamp. And this just sets Marvin off. And he's like, and he tackles the dad. And then when he looks over, he sees Anne has blood on her hands from the glass. He really gets pissed pissed off and just starts to beat the ever-living shit out of his dad, starting with a good punch to the face that makes the man plead for him to stop. And I'm like, why is no one calling the cops on the dad? A, yeah. And why do they want Marvin to stop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy is horrible. But, you know, so the guy's got to go. But anyway, so after his mom and sister are like, stop, Marvin, stop. He gets frustrated. He goes upstairs. He grabs his helmet, his wallet, his checkbook, and Harry's jacket and takes off. And I'm like, I feel like this is not going to look good later for Marvin. But yeah, yeah I, I'm, I had that fear about it because it feels like a lot of things are just not working out. Marvin takes a long drive to cool down, wishing he had just killed his dad. He decides to ultimately get a restraining order and maybe buy a gun, which, you know, that's the solution for everything. For now, he makes his way to the post office where he finds another letter that says, they are plotting to kill you as you read this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I mean, that's basically a death threat. And he's with me. He's like, who the hell are they? Why is this all this vagueness? And like, what's going? Show yourself, witch. It's very, yeah. So Marvin well, keeps I would speculating. be like really frustrated in that situation because like, it's like someone's trying to warn him, but then they're being this cryptic about it. Like, just say what's happening. Yeah, no, just, just like quit doing this. Are you trying to help me? Are you trying to psych me out? Because at this point I'm like, you're just trying to psych me out. That's all it is. You've got to think that like, they're really just trying to get to you now. He's like, he's thinking like, who could be stalking me? Who's planning against me? Right. He decides to make an unexpected house call at Shelly's to see what she's up to. Even though she said that she was quote busy. He kills the bike about a block away to keep from being heard approaching. He even ends up sneaking into her house because music is blasting kind of loudly inside and they're not going to hear him come in there. He sees Shelly and Trihad in the hot tub, the jacuzzi basically naked and making out like he did with Shelly the night before the little whore. She tells Triad she's gone out with Marvin because she needs something from him. And that's all she says something about like fun and profit which I didn't get, but triad doesn't like this. He wants her to cancel her date with Marvin for Monday. And she plays along with it. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. She says like, she will, she'll cancel the date. I don't, I don't, it seems, I don't know. She's playing both of them. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Cause it seems like, cause she's sort of like bad mouthing Marvin to triad as well. But it also seems like she's telling triad what, he wants to hear, but she was also telling Marvin what he wants to hear earlier. So you don't know what side she's actually on or if she's playing them both. Like it's also, we learn that she's the one pushing triad to buy Marvin's motorcycle because she wants it. She likes it. I'm like, what is wrong with this girl? She's psychotic for sure. She's gotta be psychotic. Like she's a sociopath. Something's going on. Marvin sees them getting a little bit more sexual than he got with Shelly, and it's it's hurting him, and he's angry. He gets mad. He takes off. He can't believe that he believes Shelly the whole time. I mean, it was random how fast the relationship escalated after all that time. I mean, you got to look at it that way, guy. He goes back to the bridge over the Pella River to the exact spot that he and Shelly stopped before, and he sees a rope that he had sat on when he was with Shelly earlier, and it's awfully oily. There's also some oil spilled on the bridge. And the only thing I can think of is, okay, so he's thinking that this oil. Okay, let me get to this. (laughs) This is where he gets the idea that Harry might have planned to clothesline Marvin and Shelly on their way back from their date on her birthday the year before. Then the oil would have looked like they slipped and had a wipeout. So he would have had to wait to raise the rope for, you know, to make sure it was them coming, raise the rope, clothesline them. And he, so he probably put it around himself to keep a hold of it. And so he could be remain out of sight off the side of the bridge. And maybe he slipped and the rope tightened around him, slowly suffocating him the day before he fell into the river and he was swept off to to the, to the lake, which is a good theory, but I'm like, so if the oil is there, why didn't they wash away by this point? It's been a year. Yeah, it was, and even like the whole, this bridge to me was really confusing. I still can't 
like picture what this bridge looks like because and then like later as well when they're like underneath it at one point or something like i don't understand what is going on with this bridge like i get that they're like over he was apparently like hanging over the railing and stuff then it's like what he was just hanging there for god knows how long waiting for them to come past yeah i don't understand that hanging there would have already been tight along the bridge i don't know the whole logistics of the setup and I just needed a diagram. I needed like yeah. a, a picture in the book to like show me what this bridge looked like. So I can kind of get a better clear mind. You know what I mean? They should have yeah. done something like that. It wouldn't have been the first time he'd put a, because in Rem- remember me, there was a whole like drawing of the apartment where this murder happened and everything. And you're like, Oh, okay. okay. This makes sense. I can see it. So I don't know why they didn't do this and that. I don't, I don't yeah. Get it. It's yeah. I mean, so I'm also wondering why does Shelly want this investigation? Why does she want his bike? What's this talk of profit? And is she just a nut job? Like, what is going on? Yeah, like, it's because it seems like Shelly knew all this kind of stuff anyway. So, why yeah. was she trying to get Marvin to investigate? So, there's, like, something going on behind the scenes that we're like, we don't know yet. It's a major manipulation that we're not seeing. Yeah. So, Marvin decides to spend the night in a seedy motel in Pella filled with bugs and cracked mirrors. He even puts on Harry's leather jacket and sleeps in it. Morbid much? He sleeps in a little, but decides to call Shelly from a phone booth in the morning. He wants to give her another chance to come clean, but she doesn't, of course. She says she's busy today and can't do breakfast with him. And now she's canceling their date for Monday night because she's supposed to, quote, see her cousin or some other BS. He basically says... Okay, then, no problem, and fake smiles at himself and hangs up on her. Good for you, dude. Now he's going to set some plan in motion. He's going to sell his bike to Triad and have him pick it up. Or I thought that's what he was going to do. He's going to sell his bike to Triad and pick up the helmet and Pella. It's, I don't know yeah, what's so going he on. Was, he was leaving the helmet at the motel in Pella. Then Right going to sell the bike to Triad, but then making it like, you need to go pick up the helmet tonight. Otherwise it's being thrown out. Right. And I'm like, man, Marvin's getting kind of sinister now and I'm kind of loving it. Yeah. It was like an interesting turn because I think by this point there was still like, I think it was only like halfway through the book or something, or maybe just over. So it was like, well, we've kind of solved the Harry mystery sort of. Sort of. So it's like, how if, is this, right. this going to get dragged on for like another bloody 100 pages? So it was good that it like, it still kept that. But then this was like a spanner in the works where it sort of introduced a new idea to the book. That was right. really interesting. Right. Yeah, I agree. So then he decides he's going to go buy a red Corvette and he has to convince the salesman that he has this money and shows him his bank statement at the ATM, which the guy's like, oh, dude, totally. All right. I'll sell you this damn thing, you know. And I'm like, what's I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you buying a Corvette all of nowhere? It's spending money. It was like $73,000. You can afford it. Yeah, you can, but still. So he says, okay, I'm buying this. I want you to deliver it to a specific address. And I'm like, just flaunting that money around, whatever. Yeah. Next, he goes to a nearby mall bookstore and just tells some random girls that he is Max Slate. He signs their book, the book. They haven't even bought it yet. They don't believe him at first, but. This one girl's like, all right, well, fine. What's going to happen to Anne McGaffer? 
And he's like, well, I don't know yet, but it may have been an accident, but she definitely didn't die at the lake. So this girl's like, oh, you must be the real guy. You know, she kind of believes him after that. And she's like, well, I love your books. So he's like, she died at the bridge down the river and floated to the lake. I'm like, why the hell are you telling her this? Like, why are you saying you're Max Slate? Like, I didn't understand that this was, it seemed like it was part of the plan, but I didn't understand why. Yeah, I didn't really get, I don't, yeah, I didn't get the thought process behind that part either. Yeah. So one part we know for sure, he's planning to kill Triad as he returns back to Sessa over the bridge by clotheslining him the way he thinks Harry was planning to do last year before he died to Marvin. It's really weird. But I'd, like, like, I don't it, understand why Triad's the target here and not Shelley. I know. I'm like, okay, so I said, you need to just get over this murder shit, write that book. You, you will definitely be caught, no doubt, because, you know, you just will. It just happens that way. And plus, like, it doesn't seem like Triad is into this Shelly thing, this thing that Shelly has going on. So maybe he's just an innocent bystander being duped. Yeah. And I'm like, it, he doesn't seem that smart. So why are you going after him and not Shelly? Like, he just like, he's like, he decides to make a deal with Triad to get the bike. He makes the call to him, says, I'll sell you the bike. And then he makes a trip to Sears, you know, rest in peace, Sears, to get rope, oil, binoculars, and a knife, noting that no one really noticed that he was buying, like, basically <laughs> obvious death wares. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this seems like you're either going to kidnap somebody or you're going to kill somebody. Like, I would look at these and go, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. Then he checks that the Corvette is parked near Triad's house, like he asked it to be. And he puts away all of his new death wares, like I said. Everything he planned is working out. He pulls up to Triad's house on the motorcycle and makes a deal to sell it to him for $800. I'm like, really? Really? $800? I don't even think in 1992 that a nice, lush motorcycle would go for that cheap. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would. I looked it up. With inflation, so that's the equivalent of um, like sixteen hundred dollars. Yeah, today it would have been a lot more like, than that, even used. Yeah, it's very cheap. I'm like, I'll buy it for five hundred. He's like, I'll take a thousand. I was like, that's still too cheap. <laughs> Doesn't make. I mean, you can probably get a really cheap like moped, yeah. like run down and rusted <laughs> for eight hundred dollars, but. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, Triad's too stupid to question it, I guess. He tells Triad he needs to pick up the helmet from the motel in Pella because he left it there, and Triad says he will get it after dinner. The last thing that Marvin says to him is, don't kill yourself. (laughs) I'm like, nice reverse psychology, bud. Marvin sits in the Corvette and realizes he's still wearing Harry's leather jacket. He's been wearing it all day, which is weird. He's starting to go cuckoo with bloodthirst and not remembering everything he said and done that day. He even can't remember correctly, but thinks he started the mystery of Silver Lake books after Harry's death. He's like, wait, did I start that after he died last year? And then, like you said, he wrote five hit books in the span of a year. Seriously? Like what kind of writer's crack is he on and where can I get it? Yeah. And they seem like, complicated books so it's like how long are they 
with a lot of characters. Yeah, with all these characters, all these like different storylines going on. It's messed up. So Marvin thinks about the dream he had and how it was maybe his subconscious mind telling him about how Harry died. He figured out his plan and wants to kill Triad and, quote, get Shelly. Like, I'd do it the other way around, honestly, because Shelly seems like she deserves it more at this point. But now so he I'm gets thinking, some dinner. I thought that I kind of read that as in, all right, he's going to kill Triad, then he's going to kill Shelly. But throughout the book, it's like mentioned that Marvin's like a jealous guy. So maybe mm-hmm. he was just killing Triad to get him out of the picture so then he could have Shelly to himself. Because at one point in this sort of section, he also refers to her as the love of his life. Yeah. Because she was his first or whatever. Yeah. I'm and not and he was like, I wanted her to be my last. I'm like, no. Yeah. It just it doesn't make sense how she is not the target of the revenge and triad is. Right. So then he, so, okay. So he gets his dinner. He goes to the bridge to stake out when triad will be driving over it. And he parks just off the road, his new Corvette, just off the road, turns it off. And he figures he will watch for triad to head towards Pella and then do the clothesline thing bit when he's on his way back. And that way he doesn't have to sit out in the cold waiting all night. Just smart. I mean, you don't want to freeze. Possibly getting himself killed like Harry did last year. Then he starts to remember the the date last year that he took Shelly out on. He remembers that they had a great night out in Pella. And when they drove back, he didn't remember going over any rope. Then they made out in her bedroom till 4 a.m. Her parents weren't home then either, which I found to be weird. Yeah, they're she like never whispered, home. <laughs> yeah, they're like never home. She whispered to him that this is what she wanted and he believes her. And then the following Monday, which she calls Blue Monday, was the news of Harry's death that changed everything and she shut herself off to him. But why? He knows something more is up with Shelly and he can't figure it out. I'm like, yeah. And the thing about the parents not being home is a little weird. Like, what's up with that? It just seemed like it was brought up for some reason. Then he tells, he hears Triad speed by on his old motorcycle. He knows the sound of it, that it makes. He figures that he has about a half hour to set up before Triad's crossing back over the bridge on his way back to Sessa. To make an incredibly long story short, because this gets all crazy and just, oh my God. So this whole situation, it's like 60 pages of one chapter of everything that happens on this bridge. So Marvin gets to work setting up the oil on the bridge, not too close to the rope because he doesn't want oil to get on it like it had on Harry. He ends up tying the rope around himself, just like he thinks Harry did, so that he can hold on to it more easily um, since it's harder to hold the rope when his hands are freezing cold. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like it's going to work out right because sounds like you're going to end up like Harry. Although he's at the other end of the bridge, the opposite end of the bridge than the other. Apparently found the other rope. He starts to doubt whether his plan will work. What if the impact on the rope messes him up as well, like pulling him or squeezing him too tight or something. And, but he just reserves, he can't stop it now. You know, he resolves, excuse me, that he can't stop it now. Soon he hears that the motorcycle is approaching and he's getting ready. He accidentally drops his binoculars and he's like, well, I don't really need it. I just need to look for the light. And he pulls the rope and braces himself. But as the motorcycle gets closer, he sees that Shelly is on the bike with Triad and only Triad is wearing a helmet. 
So like a freaking idiot, he's like, oh, no. He calls out, Shelly, and lets go of the rope and lets it just fall to the ground. Turns out Triad is an excellent driver and slams the brakes just a few feet from the rope. He sees Marvin and gets pissed because obviously Marvin was trying to kill him. This is where things start to get clear. So Triad tries to punch Marvin, but he ducks just in time. However, Triad grabs him and he stumbles back off the bridge, nearly breaking his back as he falls because the rope just is still tied around him. And he's like, bam, you know, it's like Gwen Stacy and Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2 just. Yeah. It all seems a little too close to Harry. Marvin tries to pull himself up, but Triad wants to undo the knot so that he falls into the river and dies. Shelly tells Triad, leave Marvin. The cops will get him. She suspected Marvin of pulling the stunt on Harry the entire time, which is why she wanted to trick him into investigating the possible murder. She figured he'd try to pull that stunt again because Max Slate is so predictable. And she's like, what? She knew the whole time? Color me surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, Marvin can see something in Triad's eyes. He's not the innocent doof he's been pegged for. He then figures out that Triad wanted Shelly and probably tried to convince Harry to dump her. But when he didn't, he, quote, helped Harry set up the same situation to get Marvin. Only Harry ended up falling like Marvin had and Triad didn't help him because he wanted Shelly and he was going to have her. And I'm like, this feels convoluted, but kind of accurate at the same time. Yeah, like it checks out. Yeah. As complicated it, as it seems. It's all too convenient, too, at the same time, which I'm like, eh. Yeah. Marvin yells out that Triad must have killed Harry, but she doesn't believe him. That is until the maniacal Triad pretty much admits to it. So she tries to stop him, but he grabs the back of her neck and bangs her head on the hard railing of the bridge. I'm like, damn, that's got a smart. And okay, the next bit happens kind of fast. Well, not really fast, but a lot of stuff happens in like quite a few pages, but it seems like it's supposed to happen fast. So I'm going to try to buy it. This, this is like the part where I was like confused about the bridge as well. Yeah. I'm like, I, really kind of, get it. I just kind of went with, okay, I don't know what's going on. Some acrobatic shit's going on. I don't know. Yeah. So Marvin has pulled himself up to the bridge and is grabbing like the ledge on the side, but Triad steps on his fingers and he has to let go before Triad stomps his heel down on his knuckles or something. So he pushes off and it sends him, it, it ends up swinging him under this the, the bridge, which is wooden, apparently. Part of it's wooden. There's wooden slats. And he grabs the slats to like brace himself. He then feels that Triad finally loosens the rope and it falls. And so he pretends to fall with like, ah, that kind of thing. Which was smart. It was. Like, it was smart. smart. It was a smart move smart. at the spur of the moment, you know. Triad then tries to make sure Marvin actually fell and leans over the side of the bridge to look under it. And that's when Marvin kicks him in the face with the boot a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And he says it's like nose burst like it had like a bloody water balloon inside or something. Yeah. You know? It's like, ooh. Then after some magic maneuvering, Marvin makes it up top again. That's what I didn't get. I was like, how did he get up there? doesn't make sense. Yeah, that was also confusing. <laughs> so Triad is coming like at him with his face full of blood or, or he's coming to, he's waking up or whatever. He got knocked out. I don't know what happened. It kind of seemed like he got knocked out 
and he's coming to with his face full of blood. And that's um, where Marvin like stomps down on his knee because he's on the ground and he stomps down on his knee, like hurting his leg. Just then Shelly comes to and triad grabs her. And now the real killer is revealed and she's totally on Marvin's side, I guess, whatever. So Triad sees the knife that Marvin had because it fell out of his hands or something or out of his pocket. And they both rush for it, but Triad gets to it first and holds the knife up to Shelly's neck, threatening to kill her. Marvin decides, you know what? I don't really give a shit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Done with this. I'm over it. He says, go ahead and do it. And Triad's like, I'll kill her. I'll slit her throat. And he's like, okay, do it. She, he goes, I'm not kidding. I'll do it. He's like, go ahead. Then <laughs> you know, Shelly and Triad are like shocked. Marvin's like, if you kill her, I'll just tell the police you did it. Or if you kill yourself, either way, I'm done with this. Yeah. And Shelly's like pleading with him, like, help me, please. You know, basically it tells her to save. And he's like, you know what? Save yourself. Just save your damn self. He hops on the motorcycle and takes off because as he says, he has a book to write. <laughs> I'm like, damn, he kind of turned into this like badass in an instant. He's like, all right, I'm done. Bye. I loved it though. It's like, that's it. That's the climax. <laughs> so Marvin takes off down the coast and rents a cottage. He rents a computer and a printer and makes a phone call to his sister, Anne to let him know he's okay. He then calls Ben, his agent, to tell him he'll accept the offer to meet up with the studio execs in L.A. Then he tells his editor, Pat, that um, he'll send her the book by, to her by next weekend. He then starts busting his ass writing that last book, which instead of telling you all about it, about the plot, because it's basically the same damn plot of the book we just read. <laughs> I'm not going to go into all those stories. It's just too much. Turns out Anne McGaffer's cheating boyfriend, Clyde, gets killed, claimed a suicide. Then the best friend, Mike, who's basically Marvin, sleeps with Jessica, who's basically Shelly. And Terry's character, who's actually basically Triad's character. And the same crap happens, yada, yada, yada. When he's done after a few days, he prints it out. Um, he's, he, the only thing he hasn't finished is like the last chapter. He, but he prints out everything else and he calls his agent and to set up a book reading or chapter reading of some sort and says, Hey, I want you to do this at Sessa high. I'm going to read this in front of other people. You know, basically he's going to out himself Yeah, as well as do a signing, which, you know, tells me everybody's going to freak out when they figure out, when they find out who Max Slate is. Yeah. So Marvin heads home finally and shows Anne his new Corvette that he picked up on the way. She tells him that their dad was arrested and is in jail now just after he had kicked the old man's ass and left, the cops came and took him away. Then, to his surprise, something sparked in his mother, and she just stopped drinking. Like, after all that happened, she's like, I'm not drinking anymore. She's like a normal person now, with there's this new light in her eyes. It's awesome. I'm glad that his messed up family has worked itself out again. It's great. Yeah. So, he tells Anne... And his mother that he's going to come out as Max Slade at school later. And his mom is completely confused that his her son is like this world famous author. Later at the school, the assembly is gathering and the principal, Mr. Peters, now knows that he's Max Slade. He introduces Marvin as the author of the Max Slate books. And everyone he's a kind of expecting this like big applause, but everybody's like stunned silent. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> There's a small speech and some questions like, 
where someone asks if where he gets his ideas from. He's like, I get it from all of you. I'm like, ugh, whatever. He does a brief reading, which I will not do here, and starts signing books, even signing Miss Jackson's copy of The Wishing Web, joking that if she likes this, just wait till she reads his Seymour the Frog series. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's a good little All the back. while, he doesn't see Shelley. But in the epilogue, he, after the whole signing thing, he decides he's going to go take a walk around the lake to clear his head, try to figure out the last few pages of how the book is going to end. He takes a seat on the cliff, just kind of sitting there on the edge, dangling his legs over, and he sees Shelly walking up to him, holding the knife. And it's got blood all over it. Um, what they do, this little dance of words, like this whole last, I was like, we don't need to do all this. Come on, just get it out. Yeah, it went for a very long time. I'm like, all right, this and is it an was sort of like a rehash of what we've already had. Exactly. Like, just tell, fill in what we need to fill in and just move on. Yeah. So she tells him that she only suspected him because she figured out that he was Max Slate by the way he talks. It's exactly how Max Slate writes. She even snuck into his house and looked at his computer files to confirm it. Then, which I thought, damn. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> espionage. <laughs> then, without closely, um, like with how closely the Silver Lake books turned out to be a lot like their lives, she figured he was the murderer and set it all up, which I get because I'm like, it's way too close. But I will say I once wrote a script with like kind of based on certain friends. This was in high school. I would write like little TV show scripts that never came to light. <laughs> I have like a whole like notebook, like nine scripts of like a TV series that never came true. And I had them all over. I'm like, hey, I want you to read this part. I want you to read this part. And as they're reading it, they're like looking at each other because it's conversations that they had had with each other that I wasn't privy to. And somehow I had written all this. Oh. It's really weird how it happened. It was really strange. So I kind of I kind of believe this a little bit because I can yeah. see how it happened. But this is a little too on the nose. So, yeah, I feel like five books and he has no idea that he's writing about what's happened to him in the past year. Yeah, I'm like, don't you get it? Like, I can read, I can see this. How can you not see this? Like, yeah. But. And then, in the, like, she figured out what happened to Harry through his books as well, mm -hmm. which because he'd written the piece of rope that was on the bridge or something into the first book, like without realizing it, and apparently that made her realize what happened to Harry. But like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just weird because he had no idea when he was writing the books. I just so thought, I'm like, very smart. he's just that into in his own head, I guess. He just doesn't, you know, he just is that focused on writing and not really realizing what's going on around him, but realizes it enough to write it. It's, I don't know. So she even had Triad pretend to get it on with her in the jacuzzi after she sent him the notes. Like they ran home, they were watching him get the note, they ran home to her house and they're like, all right, let's do this. And they set it all up to make it look like they were getting it on and they were using him and just to piss him off. Which, you know, whatever. I'm like, you're conniving as hell. And she was like, I figured you'd do the rope thing too. I'm like, why would you set all this up? Yeah, And then she's like, well, because I wanted you to get arrested to for attempted murder, and then it would come out that you murdered Harry. And I'm like, okay. It's a little over the top. Why don't you just tell the cops, hey, I think this guy did it. Just <laughs> look into him, please. In the end, she doesn't really confirm 
what happened with her and Triad on the bridge after Marvin left, but it's implied she probably killed him. Yeah, it's kind of so without actually like saying it, it's pretty much that she killed him after getting the full story of what happened to Harry and that he's buried underneath where they're sitting on the cliff. Yeah. But it's like you kind of it's not easy to like get that, but it's like when he first sits down on something, the soil is soft, like it's recently been dug up. Yeah. And then so like all this stuff is like they're like context clues. Which is like clever. It is. But like you could always also just say it. But I guess if she says it out loud, then she's incriminating herself. Exactly. So like I'm not gonna say it, you know. She's he's like, Well, I'll write something into the he was like, Well, I want a percentage of the you know, the royalties. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just kind of funny thing. So they basically come to an understanding and their romance starts up again or something. She even travels with him to New York as he handwrites the book ending where Jessica slits Terry's throat and hooks up with Mike in a red sports car. Not like anyone would believe that, right? (laughs) The end. Okay, not my favorite Pike book so far, I will say. I liked it. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite, but I did really like it, and it kept me turning the pages. I didn't get, like, bored of it. Oh, yeah, I will say that. I was like, what the hell's going on? But at the same time, I was like, this doesn't make sense why all this would work out this way, or why No, he never caught on to he was writing about his own town and his own group of friends that he's been around. Like, it doesn't, what? Is he just that messed up? And the whole, you know, abusive parent thing and all that stuff. It's obvious you, you take part of your life and put it into to your writing. But this was like, like I said, really on the nose. It's like this is almost yeah. a mirror image of his whole, you know, group dynamic thing going on. Yeah, so exactly. That was very strange. And there's this thing with Christopher Pike. He seems very, as far as the books go, he seems very full of himself. Does that make sense? Christopher Pike writes like he's full of himself, like he's just giving himself a pat on the back throughout the whole book. Yeah, yep, yep. No, I could say that, yeah. You know, yeah. you're like, obviously he's supposed to be the Marvin character and he's just so brilliant, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, uh, come on, come on. And then I was thinking maybe he's, because he didn't come out with books one after the other like R.L. Stein did. And I'm like, well, maybe this is a dig at R.L. Stein for pumping out all those books that fast, you know? Yeah. And it's been like... So all five of these, of the Pike books that I've read, like they're all extremely different to each other. Mm-hmm. Like even Chain Letter 1, Chain Letter 2, which were like similar, obviously. But like number two is completely different to the first one in a way as well. Well, yeah, number two is more supernatural or something from what I yeah. understand. And on your cover of like this book, because you've got like the original cover. Yes. It's weird how it says like author of Whisper and whisper of death and chain letter to the ancient evil like why not why why the sequel not chain letter i guess it was the most recent one at the time but still yeah who reads a sequel and not the first one that seems weird i've always found that weird i've always seen some people like on you know bookstagram posts and stuff and they're i've never read the first one but i read the second one like why <laughs> yeah the, the second one book. the second one is i think my least favorite what i've read from him okay i'm still i'm still you know stein's my man i can't help it he just is i grew up with stein and and i like pike and i like how his stuff is 
really weird and out there and it's really deep and very intricate how things happen, you know, and, and you do have to read all of it. Like it's hard to just yeah. kind of skip around. Like with the fear street book, you can kind of go, I want to speed read this. I can just kind of skim if you needed to. And you yeah. can still get the exact same experience. But with Pike, you can't really do that. Like you can't really skip over things too much because yeah. you're going to miss something. You're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. I need to go back. What did I just read? <laughs> you know, yeah. I'd skipped over when he was like first on the bridge with Shelly and he like sat on the rope and moved it aside. I, like had skipped over that. And then when it's like brought up again later, I was like, what's he talking about? What rope? You know what? I think I did that too. Cause I was like, there was a rope on the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Cause originally I thought that like the rope, because it's, it's like a wooden bridge and he makes out like it's so frail. So I thought the railing was like rope railing. Yeah. And that's why it was so frail. And I was like, well, apparently not. And that's why I was confused about how this bridge works. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. I don't know why, but I did like it. I'm glad I read it so that I could, I can know, but there's a few others I want to read. I want to check out. I'm definitely going to read witch within the next couple of weeks just to see if I can get that through before I watch the midnight club, the series. Cause I want to binge the hell out of that just to, yeah, to that one does sound good it. as well. And it looks like it'll be good. It looks like they're going to try to match a lot of what happened to the books. Not everybody like the characters and not everyone look the way I thought they would look, but that's okay. I don't really give a shit, you know, and I do like that Heather Langenkamp is going to play the doctor. Yeah, that's good. I thought that was neat. It was a gender swap, but that's okay. It didn't really matter too much. Although when I read the Midnight Club, like the doctor kind of feels like he was written to look kind of like Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, Heather Langenkamp's not going to have a big white beard, you know, and but oh well, I'll, I'll go with it. Whatever. It seems like it'll be fun. I hope it will be. Well, I wonder because so. it's the show seems like it's going to be more horror, but like the book wasn't really. I wouldn't call right. the book horror, existential horror. But like, but not. if you think about it, Mike Flanagan's doing it, and he did like you know Bly Manor and all the and um, Hill House, True. and those were kind yeah. of horror, but also drama and sad, and you know, yeah, true. So, yep. It's probably going to have that same kind of feeling to it. It's probably going to have a little flash of horror, a little flash of, you know, emotion mixed in. So I'm hoping for that. And I think it'll be really interesting. And it's probably going to be between eight and 10 episodes, I would I would assume. Somewhere yeah, I'm there. looking at the Wikipedia page for it. It says 10 episodes. Okay. And it looks like that. they're all getting released at once, which is good. Yeah. Well, that's Netflix for you. They don't, they don't do the weekly drops, which. Yeah, true. For something like that, you definitely want to binge it you know, but some things I think are better week to week. I just think yeah. some things are better week to week. Keep the conversation going. That's just how yeah, I am. That's true. So thank you, Jack, so much for reading this with me and everybody. Um, Jack is actually going to have a recap of this book through his own eyes on his blog coming up very soon. So make sure you look out for that. That's jackreacts.com.au. And you can find that there. You can find me there as well. Um, the couple that I've done so far, and I do plan on doing more eventually. We'll see what I do next. I don't know, but thank you so much for coming on and, you know, give me your day off. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you know, Thanks for having we're me. We're like what, 16 hours apart or something, something like that. So, uh, I guess we'll, uh, see you online, sir. And, uh, audience, make sure you reach out to us. Let us know where you are. You are, what's your, is it just at Jack reacts? Jack reacts underscore okay yeah make sure you follow him 
Make sure you follow me at Dustin Can Read on Instagram or Dustin underscore Holden on TikTok and Twitter. And um, we uh, hope you guys have a happy Halloween. And because that's coming up. And enjoy the Midnight Club series on Netflix. Bye, everybody. Bye. Dustin Can Read. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my god, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Oh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know. Murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there!